Hi, you're listening to the Connect Your Health to Life coaching podcast. I'm your host, Seth Lusk. I am a self-image coach and empowerment coach with a decade-long background in working in the health, fitness, and nutrition industry. If you're anything like I was or the way that my clients currently are, then you might be struggling with body image issues, self-image issues, or issues with confidence. You might be trying to figure out why you can't take the ideas that you have for living your healthiest and most fulfilling life and turn them into lifelong actions. So join me in this podcast as we dive in deep on topics of mental, emotional, physical, and spiritual health. We're going to look from the perspective of an authentic and empowering mindset and from self-awareness, self-love, and of course, how we can start taking authentic self-action towards living that healthy and fulfilling life that you know you're here to live. I'm going to bust through some of the illusions and myths that we've all been taught to believe along the way and offer you confidence and clarity. I'm so excited to have you on this journey with me. So the only question is, are you ready to find out how you can start living your most authentic and fulfilling life once and for all? Then let's get started, shall we? Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. For those of you listening in for the first time, welcome, welcome. As usual, I have an interesting topic for you all today, so you picked an excellent episode to start listening in on. Today we're talking all about perfectionism. And I've got a lot to say. Um, I've, I've done some research on this topic. I have experience with working with many of my clients in struggling with perfectionism. I myself struggled a lot um, with perfectionism and still to this day find my inner critic driving me towards um, perfectionist tendencies that are not so healthy and I have to become aware of those and pull myself back into a space of realisticness and sort of talk to myself and, um, you know, approach my desires, my goals in a more healthy manner. So perfectionism is a topic very near and dear to my heart. And since we have so much to talk about this morning, I'm just going to dive right in. So starting off, I want to give you all two definitions. The first definition I want to give you is for the word perfect, because that's the root word for perfectionism. So the word perfect is defined as having all of the required or desirable elements, qualities, or characteristics. So having all of the, the required or desirable elements, qualities, or characteristics. That's the definition of the word perfect. really want you to let that sink in there and, and think about that definition. And then the next word we're going to define is perfectionism which is the need to be or appear to be perfect, or even to believe that it is possible to achieve perfection. The refusal to accept any standard short of perfection. That's the definition of perfectionism. So the first thing I want to do is talk about the work of Brene Brown surrounding perfectionism. Well, really not the work, but um, just some stuff that Brene Brown has said about perfectionism that I find to be really interesting, and so I want to bring it up here because it's going to sort of lead into what we're going to talk about when it comes to to perfectionism today. Got to get my talk right on. So, Brene Brown says that perfectionism is a result of a person fearing judgment or shame and then using perfectionism as a shield against these. 
And so what I want to say about this is that a person who relates to perfectionism in this way, they're not going to take action unless they believe that the action that they are about to take and the result that they may get from it would be beyond any criticism. And that if there is any criticism, then the action was a complete failure according to this way of approaching perfectionism. And what I fear is that many people relate to the term perfectionism in this way. And I see it, I've seen it in myself, I've, I've seen it in so many of my clients, that they want to do things perfectly. And that it's like if they don't believe that they can do it, or if I believe that I can't do it in a way that's beyond reproach, beyond criticism, then I'd rather just not do anything at all. Um, or not try to do anything at all, because then at least I'm not going to have to face that judgment, that criticism. And so then what ends up happening is that people end up just keep, they keep repeating these things that they've already done in their life, and then saying that they feel stuck and unfulfilled in their life. And this is the pattern that I, I typically see surrounding perfectionism. But what I want to say is that, as usual, I think there's some misunderstanding and some misinterpreting surrounding the term perfect and perfectionism. And I think if we were to look at this and really get clear on this, that it would help us all in being able to have a healthy relationship with the term perfect or perfectionism. And I don't want to say that Brene Brown is wrong in in saying that, um, you know, perfectionism is or results from a person fearing judgment, shame, and then using perfectionism as a shield against these. I think this is one way perfectionism can be used. And I think it's the way that many people in the world today are using perfectionism. But I want to discuss this a little bit deeper and figure out exactly why perfectionism is being used in this manner and how we can change that. So what I want to start with saying is that First, we need to recognize the term perfect is not a factually concrete term. It doesn't have definitive criteria or a standard to meet that is universal. It's really based in a person... or So basically, perfection or perfect is based in the observing person's opinion or the person that is looking at the thing or the object or the action. That person is the one that gets to, or their opinion is what gets to decide for them whether or not something is perfect. Or in other words, when I say perfect, that it has all of the required desirable elements, qualities, or characteristics. Remember, keep that definition in mind. So there is no definitive universal way to decide on this. So if we, if say we talk about clothes, the perfect dress, well, okay, so one person may look at a dress and say that that dress is perfect. And a lot of people may agree with that person, but there will always be at least one person who says, no, that is not, in fact, the perfect dress. But here's the question that I want to ask them. Is the dress in this case any more or less factually perfect based on either of these people's assessment of it? The answer is no. The dress is simply just, it's just a dress. And so each person observing the dress including the person who designed the dress themselves, gets to set the necessary desired criteria for the dress that then decide if the dress meets those criteria and then gets 
to call the dress perfect or not. Because perfect is not a factual, concrete term that spans everyone's opinion, everyone's perception, and everyone's understanding of the things that they may use the word perfect to describe. So we could also relate this to, say, cars. So say, for instance, a car that I perceive as being perfect might be um, a sports car that drives really fast, that I can shift gears in, that sounds nice, that has a good sound system. But I know plenty of other people that may think that the perfect car is quiet, it doesn't need to be fast, it's luxurious, it's big, it's comfortable, it's quiet, you know, so the we can talk about so many different things here, and the, the point of the matter is that what we need to take from this, what I'm wanting to say here, is that perfect is not a concrete term. There's flexibility here. And we treat it very often, especially when we fall into the form of perfectionism that Brene Brown describes. We treat it like it's this concrete term, and then we fall into basically several points of struggle here. So I've got four points of struggle here that I want to talk about that I see happening with perfectionism. And these are like the major points. Now, there are many others, but these four major points, I think, sort of also encompass the many other ways in which perfectionism can become problematic. So number the number one struggle that I see is that we are, again, delegating the responsibility of deciding the criteria for perfect to an external source and denying our own genuine or authentic beliefs and thoughts on something for the sake of that external validation. And as I've said with many other things, when we externalize something that is intended to be an internal decision or act, then we begin to see suffering. Because what ends up happening is we invalidate our own true beliefs and our own true feelings about something. So what I want to say is that this doesn't mean that we're not allowed to we're not allowed to learn and adapt as we go through life and change those criteria when it feels genuine based on something we may even see in another person. I'm not saying that. <clears throat> but that is something completely different than relying on other people's opinions to tell us whether or not our opinion is worthwhile to have or true or correct for us. And when we externalize the deciding factor of whether or not something is perfect, that's exactly what we're doing. You see, because in the end, we're the, we are the only person who truly gets to decide for ourselves what the criteria are for what is perfect for us. And yet what I see happening is that many of us keep handing over that responsibility to an outside source. We also do this with our self-image, our self-worth, our trust in ourselves, our authenticity, and then life fulfillment suffers from it. So, this brings me to struggle point number two, is that we are deciding the perfectness of the actions that we take based on the outcome of our actions after the fact. When we take an action, we immediately start getting feedback from that action, which is called the result. And here's the thing, for every result we get, there's something to be learned in that result. There are many things to be learned in that result. The things that we like about the result. The things that we don't like about the result. The things that we would change about the result. The things that we would keep the same about the result. The things that we thought we wanted about the result that now we realize we don't. But here's the thing. We have more information the moment that we take an action. And what we keep doing is we're deciding on what is perfect after we have that information. 
and then going back and judging the action based on that standard when we didn't have that information when we took the action. So the standard of judgment is not only skewed, but it's changing as we take action. So what ends up happening is we literally set ourselves up to look at ourselves as failures and not be able to reach our own bar of perfection. Because when we set it at the time when we started taking the action, then we keep changing it, and then we, we go back and we judge and invalidate every action that we took prior to when we changed the standard. And so what ends up happening is the bar gets further and further away, and we make it impossible for us to meet our own standard. And this is where the third point of struggle struggling with perfectionism comes in, is that we've been taught by society to focus on the result of the actions as being the determiner of the quality of the actions or the work or the effort that we put in. We completely lose focus on the effort, the time, the energy, and the learning process itself. And we look completely at the result as being what decides whether or not everything we did prior to that point was worth anything, was good, was perfect, what, you know. And it's unfair because, number one... As I said, the moment that we take action, we have new information. And so any standard we set at that point in time is based on information we didn't have when we set the previous standard. And so to judge the previous standard and the previous actions based on that is unfair to ourselves. But then on top of that, we're not even able to look at our progress, our learning process, or our effort because we're so focused on the end result as being something or the thing that will qualify whether or not the actions we took were perfect. And how this is problematic is because what ends up happening here is that the validation or the determiner of our judgment of our actions, which the actions are what we have control over, so the validation or the determiner of its quality is based in something that we don't have control over, which is the result. And yes, I do mean, we literally, I want you guys to understand that. No matter how perfect your plan is, you will never have 100% control over the result. Ever. I need you to get that idea out of your head. I know we've been taught to believe if we try hard enough, if we research enough, if we read enough, if we get enough information ahead of time, if we, you know research how 5 million other people did it, and then we do the exact same thing that they did. We believe that somehow that this gives us control over the outcome, and what I want to offer you is that this is an illusion. We never have 100% control of the results because we don't have 100% control of everything that is going on around us, which will affect the result. The only thing that we ever have control over is our thoughts, beliefs, and actions. Those are it. And so we're using something that we don't have control over as the source of judgment and validation for the thing that we do have control over. I want you to think about that. And even if we somehow had control over the result, which we don't, we can't, we still don't have control over what other people will think about that result. And again, since we are so busy delegating the responsibility of the decision of, quote-unquote, is this perfect, to the external, then even if sometimes we get the result we want, if someone else's opinion of it is not what we wanted it to be, we start second-guessing the result. 
And I want you to think about that. I think we all can understand how logically this doesn't make any sense. But I want you all to notice that this is what's actually going on here when, we, when we're talking about this destructive nature of perfectionism. This creates the suffering of perfectionism. It's not the fact that a person wants to do something and then describe it with the word perfect. Because the fact is we could, we could actually substitute any adjective there. It wouldn't matter what adjective we use. We could use good, we could use awesome, we could use better, we could use great, we could use excellent. It doesn't matter what adjective we use as long as we desire for our action to be described as that way. And we use the validator as the result and other people's opinions of that result, then we will never have power in being able to reach that descriptive word. I want to say that again. So whatever adjective we want to use for our goal, for the action, for whatever it is, if, if I achieve this, it will be good, it will be excellent, it will be perfect, it will be great, it will be what I want. Whatever descriptive phrase or word you want to use, as long as we are desiring, or as long as we are looking to an external source of validation, or the end result for the validation, then we will never allow ourselves the true power in being able to set a goal and reach it. You see, using the word perfect isn't the problem. I can use the word perfect, but when I start ascribing the ability to believe that I've reached perfect to something that is beyond my control, then you can see I have a problem here. Because in the end, we will always end up second-guessing ourselves and judging ourselves as failures because we're using something that is outside of our control, other people's opinions, um, the end result, as being the determiner that we then go back and judge the actions that we took, which is the one area where we have control and we can decide, I took perfect action. So as long as we're not internalizing the voice of validation to being our own voice and that we have the power to make our own decision ahead of time, then we will constantly be going back and changing our minds about anything that we do based on what some other person thinks about it or based on whether or not the result is slightly different than we planned in the beginning. And this is the suffering that we call the quote-unquote perfectionism. But I just want you to notice that this is not actually by definition perfectionism. Because perfectionism is just wanting to do things perfectly. So perfect just means that it has the required qualities, characteristics, and traits. Well, you get to decide that ahead of time. So if you decide ahead of time that the qualities, traits, and characteristics are something that, that's within your control to achieve, then guess what? Achieving perfect is very attainable, and perfectionism can be attainable. The problem is these first three things that, I, that I've just said that, is, that are the struggle points. So going back again, it's number one, that we're delegating the responsibility or criteria to an external source and denying our own genuine or authentic beliefs about something. So that's struggle point number one. And number two is that we're using the, the end result as being the deciding factor in whether or not something is perfect. So w the first two struggle points are basically that we're delegating the responsibility of our decision of what is perfect to something outside of us. And then number three is the struggle point is that we are entirely result focused. So as I said, we could use any descriptive word here <clears throat> and it wouldn't matter. 
I prefer to use the term healthy standard of excellence with my clients because it appears to relieve some of the pressure on them from a linguistic standpoint. But the reality is that we can continue to use the word perfect and it would still be a problem until we start to realize our own power in deciding ahead of time on what perfect will be and putting those criteria as something that is actually within our power and control. And then deciding to have our back on our description of it as what is being perfect, even when the results are not there yet, and even after people begin to offer their opinion on it. Which brings me to, let's go to struggle point number four. We spend far too much time in comparison. But the issue is not only in comparing results, we don't even, we actually don't even need to go so far as to comparing the results. Because most of us allow our perfectionism to stop us from even taking action to get the results because we compare ourselves to others before we even set a goal for ourselves. We set goals for ourselves based on what we see other people doing, based on what what we think, what we see in another person that we think is great or perfect. And then we think, okay, so I have to do that in order to be considered perfect. So we don't even, and then we either do one of two things. Either we go after a goal that's inauthentic for us and set ourselves up for failure, or we decide, well, I there's no possible way for me to do that, so I just give up. Instead of setting a goal from where we actually are, from our own reality. An example of this would be like, say for instance, if I make 50000 a year, and I'm following a lot of people online that make over 200000 a year, And they're all talking about money investment and the importance of money investment and how, you know, investing money is a way to, you know, create a life of fulfillment, which I do agree with this. However, they're all talking about investing 20, 30, 40, $50,000 and talking about their return on these things and the things that they want. And so if I start looking at the amount of money that they're investing and the kinds of returns they're getting, and I start thinking, this is what I want to do, and I set my goal based on that, well, guess what? I'm only making 50000 a year. So for these people making over 200000 a year, $20,000 is 10% or less of their income. So if I start thinking I need to start investing $20,000 a year in order for it to be worth my time, well, then guess what? That's half of my income. And if I start thinking, you know, okay, well, there's no point in investing until I can invest this much, well, either I'm going to start judging my own reality in the moment and start feeling bad about that, or I'm not going to set goals for myself because I feel like I can't set goals for myself that I can be proud of. So you see, comparison isn't just about the end result. Comparison actually, a lot of times, is stopping us from even setting goals in the first place. Because we're afraid to set goals that are realistic for us. It's almost like we're ashamed of of saying, okay, this is my reality. This is so if I said <clears throat> I could invest five thousand this year. What if, you know, if, if I'm comparing myself to all of these people and feeling shame about admitting the fact that a a stretch of an investment for me, a growth investment for me would be to invest $5,000, I'm not going to do it because I'm ashamed of the fact that that's all I can invest. When the reality is investing $5,000 would still help me. It would still be a great investment. It's still going to push me closer towards my goal and it's an attainable step and it's stretching me. It's still me taking as big of a step as these people who are investing $20,000 because that's still 10% of my income. $5,000 for me is 10% of my income. 
So I need to stop comparing that and and thinking that it's not worth my time to do that simply because the people that I'm admiring are doing so much more. But see, this is part where perfectionism doesn't just stop us in in reaching our goals and seeing that we've reached our goals. It also stops us in even setting the goals. So we have to be willing to set goals and action steps that are realistic and achievable from where we actually are in our life. But in order to do that, we have to be willing to see where we actually are in life. And this becomes a problem for most of us who are numbing ourselves out to seeing where we actually are in our lives, seeing our emotional experience, seeing what we're creating in our lives and how and why. So what? So basically the thing you can take from this here is this. Comparison doesn't just affect us in, as far as like after we've taken the action. And I know a lot of us can see that. A lot of us can see after we take an action, we compare our results. See it all the time. But what I want you to notice here is that there's another side to this comparison culture and that it's keeping us from even setting the goals in the first place because we think that setting the goal isn't even worth it or that we should be somehow or that we feel ashamed about setting a realistic goal for ourselves because we're allowing other people to convince us that that's not a worthwhile goal because we're not able to set the goal here. And I will say from my own personal experience, I encounter coaches who coach coaches all of the time online contacting me and asking me about my business. And I had someone contact me about setting goals for my business a few weeks ago. And they were like, "Um, so how long have you been coaching? And I was like, I've been coaching for about three or four years now. And they were like, oh, so you should be making about a half a million a month then. And I was like, well, no, maybe eventually I get there. But no, I'm definitely not making a half a million a month now. And he's like, well, why not? Why isn't, and I was like, because that's not realistic to where I am. He was, well, why isn't that your goal? And for a moment there, I almost felt a sense of shame about my business that, well, this guy is telling me that, that if, if I'm not making a half a million a month by three or four years in of starting my business, that somehow I've done something wrong, that I failed. And I start second guessing my business. I start second guessing me. I start second guessing my ability to coach. And I had to stop for a second and say, hold on, hold on, hold on. Seth. You started this business from nothing three to four years ago, and then you rebranded it within your first two years of of opening the business, and it's been steadily growing. You've been showing up. You've been growing it. You've been putting in the work. You've been doing all of the uncomfortable things, doing the marketing, finding people to help you with marketing, hiring coaches to help you, you know, doing all of this work, doing things you've never done before that you had no idea how to do and you just stepped into it and said, I'll figure it out as I go. You've been doing all of this and you're going to allow this one person's opinion that they think that you should be making a half a million a month by now, and that if you're not, that that should be your goal, you're going to allow that to derail you from thinking that that your current goals are a stretch for you and to be proud of them and to be willing to be in them and to look at them and have your back on those goals. I had to recognize that moment of perfectionism in myself and the comparison. So I just want you all to know, this isn't something that I'm trying to say that never pops up for me. But I want you all to have some awareness around it because I think a lot of us are not aware that we're doing it and that it's that this comparison doesn't just affect us in after we take action. It affects us in even setting our goals in the first place. I was almost ashamed to tell this coach what my goal was for the year, that my goal was to make more money than my husband this year. 
and I'm not going to give you exact details because my husband's salary doesn't need to be on on this podcast, but my husband's salary is definitely far less than a million a year. Definitely far less than half a million a month. And my goal for this year was to make more than my husband. And to me, that was a stretch because it's exponentially more than what I made last year. And so I was allowing myself to almost feel ashamed of that being my goal because this person was telling me that my goal should be something else because other people are making that amount of money who've been coaching for this amount of time. And I'm like, well, that's, that's really great for them, but they're not me. They didn't start with the same things that I started with. And I'm still showing up every day and still doing the hard work and still putting in the time and effort, even though I'm not getting that result yet. I'm still doing it. I'm still here. Even though my business has face-planted four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, I don't even know how many different times in the last four years, and I've had to pick it back up and, and try and pull it forward with me into my future that I see, no matter how many times I've had to do that, what I can understand is that this is my business. This is my reality that I am, I am showing up for every day. And if I get stuck in this comparison mode, then I get stuck in paralysis by analysis and I don't take actions because I think that the actions that I'm able to take right now aren't worthwhile because if the action that I'm able to take right now isn't an action that's going to get me half a million in a month, then obviously I'm doing it wrong. But that's not true. It's only true if I buy into this one person's opinion that that's how much money I should be making. I don't believe that's what I should be making right now. I think the amount of money that my current goal is set for is the amount of money that I want to be making right now. That's good for me. So here's what I want to say here. It's not that we can't want a particular outcome because I know when I start talking about not being focused on the result and not letting other people's results inspire you know, I'm not saying that they can't inspire us, but comparing our results to other people's. So it's not that we can't be inspired by other people's outcomes. And it's not that we can't want a particular outcome. And it's not that if we don't get that outcome, that we cannot want to try again and again and again until we get that outcome. I actually, this is what I want to encourage you to do. What I'm saying is that while you want that particular outcome, the reality is that most of the time when you're learning to do something, which usually if it's something that's going to push us into growth, we're learning new things, that's the reality, then you will not get the exact desired outcome, especially not the first time, or maybe even the first 100 times. So if you slip into judgment and shame of that and start calling yourself a failure or judging your worth or judging your ability to be able to keep going after that goal based on that, then how likely are you to try again? Or at least try again anytime soon. I would say that for most people, you wouldn't be very likely to try again. Or if you try again, then you're going to do it with even more resistance to your reality because you're ashamed that you're still there and you think you should be somewhere else. Which only furthers the probability that you're not going to reach the outcome because the, the, the end goal is more even more unrealistic than the first one was. And so you create even more judgment and even more pain for yourself until eventually this cycle creates so much pain that you decide to stop trying. And this is what I want to encourage you to stay out of is that cycle of being end result focused and comparing your goals and the end results to other people's. Because this, my friends, is a huge part of what's blocking you from setting goals and going after them. 
along with the fact that you are not deciding for yourself ahead of time what your criteria are and to have your back on it no matter what. And a lot of this has to do with a very undefined self-image, which is why I started doing self-image coaching. But that's for another time. So the key takeaway here is that if you judge your actions based on the result, and if you judge the results and the actions in comparison to other people, then you're going to set yourself up to feel disappointed, not good enough, ashamed, embarrassed, angry, cheated, so many other words I can think of that I hear my clients describing when they do this with themselves. And these feelings are not conducive to those that you want to learn And in order to grow and in order to choose to take a course of new action that's going to be uncomfortable, that's going to be unfamiliar, that's going to be scary, that you're going to not get the end result that you want probably a hundred times before you do. But that you can approach that course of action with optimism because of the fact that the, the goal is that you know you are growing and that you're learning to do things. That's if, if that becomes your goal, then you're unstoppable. You become unstoppable. So is there a way that we can use perfectionism in a way that is not so destructive? And what I would say is that calling it perfection and perfectionism may not be the best way to describe it for many people because many people are triggered by that word <clears throat> and automatically slip into unrealistic expectations, or they slip into fear, shame, or hiding. But if we were actually able to look at the word for what it really means, wanting things to be perfect, and realizing that the word perfect is just that it has the required criteria, characteristics, traits, and that we get to decide that ahead of time, we get to decide that, not someone else, I think we can start using the word perfectionism within context in a healthy way. But it's going to require self-awareness. It's going to require a very solid self-image. And it's going to require a very empowered growth mindset up front before we start engaging with this concept deeply. Because most of us, our view of perfectionism is so skewed because of a lot of the standards that we've taken on to ourselves, a lot of pressures we've taken from childhood, a lot of sort of destructive beliefs that we've carried with us surrounding the word perfectionism. So... The thing is, we can set realistic standards for ourselves based on our own desires, and we can set realistic goals to do those things. And then we can decide ahead of time what the criteria are to meet. And we can decide that meeting them would make the action perfect according to our standard right now. And here's the other part to this. That standard can change at any point in time. So remember I said earlier that we keep changing the bar as we grow. And it's not that changing the space of the place of the bar is a bad thing. It's when we use the newly located bar to then go back and judge the previous actions and previous goals, that's when it becomes a problem. That's when it becomes painful and problematic. So the standard can change at any point in time, but that doesn't mean that we get to then go back and judge the previous standard. Because the new standard is based in information that we gained by trying the old standard. And so therefore, we need to be grateful for that old standard, because that old standard and taking action towards it is what brought us this new information that allows us to create a new standard. So then using that to go back and judge the old standard, that's a bit unfair, 
Because that old standard is the reason why you're here now being able to make that new standard. It's a little bit cruel to do, don't you think? I, I think it is. And I think logically we can see when I'm saying this, and fairly we can see this doesn't make any sense. It's kind of like if you can imagine scolding... So looking at a 20-year-old and then telling them that because they know algebra now, that they should feel ashamed for ever being a toddler that didn't know algebra. You see what I'm saying here? It's not a growth-oriented mindset. It's a very fixed mindset because it, it tells us that basically we have to know all the answers ahead of time. And if we can't know all of the answers, then we can't set goals. We can't set, um, you know, things that we want to achieve in our life. We can't set courses of action because unless we can do it in a way in which we can never go back and judge ourselves, which, by the way, is a decision that we make, then there's no point in setting out in the first place. That's not conducive to growth. So most of us have engaged in forms of perfectionism, at least from time to time in our lives or through various, for various reasons and various seasons in our lives. Most of us have engaged with it, with it at least from time to time. But I think also the problem is that most of us are engaging with it in a very unhealthy way. And it's in a way that's not conducive to a growth mindset, which keeps us feeling stuck and unfulfilled in life. And where it becomes problematic is when we use it in this way that is problematic for us, that creates suffering, that creates blockedness, that creates an inability to grow. When we, when we use it in that way, and then it becomes sort of our default way of setting goals and taking actions... And, and because everything is result-focused and externally validated, this, this really creates sort of the mess of unfulfilled lives that people keep talking about and wanting to figure out, why does this keep happening to me? Why, why is my life happening this way? Instead of seeing their power in not blame, but their power in having created that by by in one one of many ways approaching perfectionism in this way and setting themselves up over and over again to fail and then judge themselves for failing so i want to offer you all some signs that you may be engaging in perfectionism so that because i know a lot of people are like oh no 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 i don't engage in perfectionism because they use a different term for it so here are some signs that you are engaging in harmful perfectionism no matter what you want to call it okay so pay attention to these, and, and if you notice these in your life, I want you to consider, am I engaging in an unhealthy perfectionism and wanting to hide it from myself because I don't want to see my power in being able to change this because I'm afraid and I don't believe that I can change? Pay attention to this. If you notice some of these characteristics, have you been hiding your own perfectionism from yourself? Because a lot of people do. Because they're afraid to see that they're actually the ones that have the power to create their stuckness in their life. Because then this means that we step into the discomfort of growth. And a lot of people are very afraid of that. But I want you to recognize that you are afraid of that because this is previous to now. Your pattern of growth has been this very destructive comparison, external validation, and 
you know, result-focused type of growth. And that's why growth feels scary and why you might be hiding this from yourself. So there's no reason to feel shame, but be open to seeing that you may very well be living in a very destructive pattern of perfectionism and not wanting to see it. So some ways you can recognize it. Number one, you're unable to perform a task unless you are certain and know that you can do it perfectly. That's fairly obvious. Next one. You view the end product or of any project or action taken as being the most important part, and as a result, you put very little focus on the process of learning how to complete a task to the best of your abilities. Next one. You cannot see a task as complete until it is perfect by a standard that is not within your control. Next one. You procrastinate on being... I'm sorry, you procrastinate on beginning a task until you know you can do it perfectly. So procrastination. Next one. You take an excessive amount of time to complete tasks that most others can complete quite quickly. And usually this is because you're obsessing over the end result and you're afraid for people to see your end result. So it's no shame if, you know, you're... uh, What I don't want to say with this one, if you're new at something... You don't need to think that you're engaging in perfectionism simply because people that have been doing this for a lot longer than you can do it quickly, more quickly than you. That's obvious. But I'm talking about things that you're actually quite practiced in being able to do things you've been doing for a long time. Like, say, for instance, um, getting a task done at work. And you've been at this job for years. So maybe writing a paper. So you've written many papers in your life. But still, when you get assigned to write a 10-page paper, it takes you... Um, three weeks to write it when everyone else can write it in a few days. So this is a sign that that uh, you may be engaging in an unhealthy relationship with with perfectionism. So the next one, you believe that nothing is worthwhile unless it is perfect. Next one, you cannot feel proud of your progress, hard work, your efforts, or your process of learning. I'm going to say that one again. You cannot feel proud for your progress, hard work, process, or for your effort in learning. Next one. You constantly compare your work with others, and then you fixate on the perceived flaws that you see when comparing your work to others. And I would say also this this is the same applies to setting goals. You're constantly comparing your goals to others and then fixating on the perceived flaws in your goals when you compare them to others. So it's not just the the work and the end result, it's also setting the goals. So the next one. You still do not feel satisfied with your work when you attain the desired result, and you may turn around and ridicule the process you took to get there, even if the result is what you wanted. Because maybe you feel that the process took you too long, or that other people did it more efficiently, or did it in a better way. That's a sign of engaging in an unhealthy form of perfectionism. Next one. You find it difficult to be happy with other people's success. Of course you would because you're constantly comparing to theirs. And if you're not achieving exactly that, then of course you're not. You're not allowed to be happy with yourself. So of course you feel have a hard time feeling happy with another person's success. So if you have a hard time feeling happy with other people's success, this is a big sign that you may be engaging in unhealthy perfectionism. The next one, you avoid trying new activities with friends or people around because you fear being judged or compared. The next one, you feel like you fail at almost everything that you try. 
Next one, you struggle to relax. The next, you struggle to share your thoughts or feelings. And that may seem a bit interesting, but it's true. You're afraid to share your thoughts or feelings because you're afraid of hearing other people's opinions on them. And then you then going back and judging, oh, yeah, I have wrong thoughts and feelings. I can't even think or, or do this perfectly. You know, so, yeah, you, you will actually struggle to share your thoughts or feelings. This is a sign of unhealthy perfectionism. Next sign, you become very controlling in your relationships, both personal and professional. Bosses out there, managers out there, how much do you try and control your employees? How much are you engaging in unhealthy perfectionism at work? But this also stems down to personal relationships, setting unrealistic expectations for your relationships and for the people in them. So you try and control the relationship very much. Next sign, you are obsessed with lists, rules, and work. Or the next one, which is the exact opposite, you become extremely apathetic. Because caring about anything could mean that you would want to try something that you may not be good at, and then you would have to judge yourself for it. Okay, so these are some signs that you're engaging in unhealthy forms of perfectionism. There are many more, but those are, those are some that I'm sure many of you can start maybe noticing in your life if you're struggling with unhealthy perfectionism. So where does perfectionism show up in our life? It shows up in work and school, and I think that's the most obvious. Um, by taking longer to complete tasks, by avoiding starting tasks um, that you're uncertain about your ability to complete perfectly or complete without being ridiculed or criticized. So the next area it can show up is in relationships. We talked about that. So you can, again, you begin to put unrealistic expectations on other people that you have relationships with, personally, professionally, um, you know, in any way. So the next way place it can show up is in your physical activity. You either avoid participating in physical activities for fear of not being perfect enough at them, or you continue to criticize your performance at a physical activity that you're not, you know, quote unquote, perfect at yet based on some standard that's not yours, and that getting better at it is not good enough. And so you constantly criticize your ability to perform physical activities, and you may even avoid them because of that. Um, another way it shows up with physical activity is that you don't stick with the physical activity that you do not feel that you can quickly become perfect at. Um, so another place it can show up is just in our surroundings, like in our house, office, car, rooms. So belongings needing to be perfectly clean and look as if they were flawless and brand new. Um, you may lose interest in objects when they no longer look brand new, or you stop seeing value in them when they stop looking perfectly clean and brand new, or you constantly replace items such as clothing, furniture, decorations that you own because they no longer look flawless and brand new. That's a sign that you're engaging, or that's one way in which unhealthy perfectionism can show up in your surroundings. So it can also show up in our health. And it shows up, so say, for instance, if you do something, if you don't do something perfectly one time, you stop doing it at all. So if you miss out on eating according to your healthy eating plan, then you just completely abandon the healthy eating plan. Because, you know, at least you can abandon perfectly, right? That, that's, that's a sign you are engaging in perfectionism because it's all or nothing mentality. Um, exercising, it's the same thing. Either the all or nothing. You, if, you, if you don't get it perfectly, you just quit. I've even seen it with things like brushing your teeth, combing your hair, showering. You know, if you can't do it perfectly, why even bother at all? Making your bed, um, 
stretching, you know, taking time to meditate, um, making sure that you sleep enough every night. These are all things that I see people, it's like they engage in this all or nothing mentality and if they don't do it perfectly one time, they just say, well, screw it, I guess I'll never get it right and then they give up. Um, And what's interesting here is that in these, giving up becomes the quote-unquote perfect action. Because you think that since you can't do the thing perfectly, you can just give up perfectly. But then we even judge that because then we want to do the thing. And so we feel like we haven't actually given up on it. So then we feel like we can't give up on it perfectly. So then we try. Do you see what I'm saying here? It becomes a Perfectionism becomes such a vicious cycle. And it manifests itself in so many different ways in people's lives and shows up in so many different spaces on these cycles. So... It can also show up in how a person speaks or writes. Some people will even avoid speaking or writing unless because they fear saying something imperfectly or doing it wrong. It can show up in our physical appearance. So we take hours choosing clothes, excessive grooming time, worrying about the, the grooming process, um, exercise addiction, eating disorders, body dysmorphia. So these are places where perfectionism can show up in our physical appearance. appearance. So where does perfectionism come from? I think that in all humans, we have this tendency to practice forms of perfectionism, and we do it from time to time, and I believe that this stems from our primitive brain's desire for safety, comfort, and security, because if it's perfect, it's safe, it's secure, it's comfortable, and also because our brain wants us to be part of the group, because we see being part of the group as being safe in a way that we're going to stay alive, and what we need to recognize is that our primitive brain is trying to manipulate us into this perfectionism by trying to make us believe that by doing things perfectly and that relying on an external source of validation for perfection, that somehow we'll be safely in a group and taken care of. And this is not reality, my friends. It's not reality. Number one, if a person doesn't like something that you did, it's not going to mean you're cast out of, that nobody will ever like you and that you're cast out of the group and you're going to die. That's not the truth. But I want you to recognize here that even though we rationally know this, our brain is trying to convince us of this in the background. And we need to be aware of that because awareness is our first step in taking our power back here. So we need to be aware that the brain is playing, the primitive brain is playing a lot into this by, by asking us to seek the safety and comfort of not being able to be criticized and therefore avoiding being cast out of the group and ensuring that we stay safe and alive. And we need to realize that that's unrealistic for the 21st century. I also believe that a lot of people pick up perfectionism as a habitual way of living from childhood. When we experience disapproval from either parents, teachers, or peers, And then on top of experiencing the disapproval, we feel less loved, less likable. We may even feel ignored or unimportant if we're not getting constant praise and approval. And so I believe, unfortunately, a lot of our parents did this unintentionally to us. And I'm I'm not trying to blame parents. But with how, especially in my generation, parents were taught to parent, it was all result-focused. And children pick up on this. And they make it mean that somehow if they don't do the right thing and do it perfectly and do it so excellent, that they are going to lose their parents' approval, love, and attention. And that some and this scares them. And so they start out with this cycle of needing their parents' approval and needing their parents to see their actions and results as being perfect so that they can ensure that they will feel loved and safe and secure. And again, there's no manual for parents. And so I, you know, I honestly feel 
I feel parents in a deep way. I understand you want the best for your kids, but we need to start looking at par- in parenthood about how we may be creating this insecurity in children by being so result-oriented. And starting to pay attention to how we praise children for results. Because here's the thing that I noticed. A lot of children that engage in perfectionism now and are very insecure are children that achieved a lot at a young age. And we would think, well, why why on earth would a child that achieves so much at a young age feel insecure? Well, this is the reason why. They got the praise for what they did, not for the effort that they put in, not for how hard they tried, not for the amount of time that they put into it. And so when we ch- when we praise a child for their achievements, and then we withhold the praise when they don't achieve a certain thing, then what we teach a child is that their value... Their worth, their acceptance, their love comes from achieving certain results. Instead of praising children for maybe they didn't get an A-plus on the test, but dang it, that child spent literally weeks studying for that test and trying and putting in all of the effort and making flashcards and, you know, and I, I know... I'm not trying to blame my mom here or my dad, but I know so many times when I would not get an excellent grade on a test and I know that I studied and my parents would say, well, obviously you didn't study hard enough because I didn't get the A plus. And that was so frustrating for me that I'm like, that is such an unfair unassessment or an unfair assessment to say that because I didn't get an A+, plus, that I didn't put in the most effort and time that I knew how into studying. And that I don't deserve some credit and praise for having put in that. And that, yes, sure, next time maybe I'll try something different because I do want to get the A+. Plus. But I'm not going to try anymore. I'm going to lose my, my, my desire to try if I start recognizing that it doesn't matter how much effort I put in, how much time I put in, how much hard work I put in, because I may still not get an A-plus on the test, and then none of the, none of the effort that I put in is going to matter because I'm going to get punished, and I'm going to get ridiculed, and I'm going to get ignored, and I'm going to get told that I didn't do well enough because I didn't get the A-plus. It doesn't encourage a kid to grow. It encourages a kid to see their abilities as being fixed. It encourages a kid to see that there's no point in trying unless they know that they can control the outcome and make it perfect. So this is one of the major places where I see perfectionism stemming from. And that it stems from early on in childhood when we become fixated on our results as being the determiner of our own perceived value of ourselves and not seeing that we can we can feel proud of our effort of the time that we put in of the fact that we are learning that's something to be proud of the fact that we are trying to learn is something to be proud of and that if we don't get the a plus it doesn't mean that all of that just gets thrown out the window We can go back and look, do we still want to get the A+. Okay, well then what can we try different next time? But that doesn't mean that we throw the praise out of the window for all of the time and effort that was put in. And also to my parents, I want to ask you to question yourself, is it really important that your kid gets gets A-pluses in school? Because let's be honest here, I know plenty of straight-A students in school that are flipping burgers at McDonald's now. 
It's not a determiner for success in life. Not that flipping burgers at McDonald's doesn't mean that you can't be a success in life. But what I'm saying is getting straight A's in school does not determine that a person will be successful in life. I've met plenty of people that got straight A's in school that are literally choosing to do nothing with their life because they're afraid. They're afraid that they still won't get the A plus in life. So what I want to offer is that as to my parents out there, pay attention to this. How much are you praising results over praising efforts in action? How infrequently do you praise your kids for how much effort they're putting into something? And can you switch that? Can you notice that and make an effort to start praising them for the effort that they're putting in? Because I believe that just praising kids for for their results is what leads to such a very low sense of self-worth and an undefined sense of self that we see in so many adults now that is creating a generation of narcissism. None of us know who we are unless we're getting praised for a result. And so we're constantly seeking validation and approval from other people. So it's important that what we take from this is that we recognize... Going back to perfectionism, perfect is an imaginary term. It doesn't exist out there by some criteria of perfection out there. It's something we get to decide. And you can replace it with whatever word you want. That's not the point here. The point is no matter what word you choose, the descriptive word to choose the quality of your work is within your power to decide the criteria of that. For parents... It's within yours and your children's power to choose the criteria that is within your child's power of something they can actually do, not the outcome that they can't actually affect. And in school, I'm sorry, but a kid cannot cannot control how a teacher grades everything. I know so many times that I turned in papers, even in college, where one professor would say, this is crap, and another professor would give me an A-plus on it. The same exact work. So you don't, children do not have the control over their grades 100%. And I think our education system is quite flawed in the fact that we put kids through this and base their entire lives and what they're able to do in life and how they're going to succeed in life based on these criteria. I'm not saying that we should just totally abandon a grading system, but, you know, there needs to be another way in schooling. But that, again, getting off topic here, the the point is, We need to stop delegating the responsibility of what is perfect and what we're allowed to be proud of based on some external validated source. And we need to recognize that perfect, perfection, is an imaginary term that we get to decide on. Perfect is not a reality. It is is a decision that we make. I can do something, quote-unquote, perfectly, because I decided before I did it that these are the criteria, these, these, and once these are met, then that means it's perfect, and I can do that, and then still go back and judge it and call it not perfect if I'm waiting for an external validator. But it doesn't make what I did the first time any less or more perfect, because what I did is already done. The, the value of that work, the worth of that work, is already set. I'm just judging it now. It's just my opinion at this point in time of it. 
The worth of the work is already out there. So the question is, why aren't we having our back on the worth of our work? And what I recognize in myself and what I've started to tell myself is I don't get to use current information that I get the moment that I take action and I start receiving feedback. I don't get to use that to go back and judge my previous standard or judge my previous actions. I don't get to do that to myself because it's debilitating and it's destructive. And when I did that, I ended up immobilizing myself in fear. I ended up trying to protect myself constantly from a standard that I was the one that got to create in the first place. I thought I was protecting myself from something, but I was the one creating the thing that I was protecting myself from. I and all of us, what we're doing is we're choosing the victim role in our own life instead of the role of empowerment. And we're delegating the responsibility of a standard of perfect to something outside of us, which is beyond our control. And this is the result of being completely focused on the outcome when that is not within our control. And then basing validation on other people's opinion of it. And then comparing. So I don't want to leave you feeling like perfectionism is this like hopeless thing. There are some things that we can do. And, you know, the thing, the, the, the struggle points that I brought up, I've already talked about some things. Some awareness is already a huge step that we can take in untangling perfectionism and unhealthy perfectionism in our life. But I want to leave you all with some strategies and tips to recognize and untangle perfectionism in your life so that you can begin to start to make some progress here. The first one I'm going to offer you is to find help. And I know as a coach, you're probably thinking, yeah, yeah, of course you're going to say that you're a coach, but find help. Whether it be a therapist, a coach, or a doctor, find help because this isn't something you want to do alone. Because as you can see from the things that I've described in this podcast, they're very deeply ingrained. They're very subtle. And a lot of people hide their own perfectionism from themselves. And it becomes this insidious background noise that people do not even recognize is going on in your life. So if you're starting to become aware of it right now through the words that I'm saying in this podcast, if this is resonating with you and bringing up some awareness that, oh my God, maybe I am engaging in some unhealthy perfectionism, then find help. Find help. Next strategy, learn to break up tasks or goals that you have into small steps that you can do one at a time. And then focus on that one task at hand at a time, not the end result, not what other people are doing and the results that they're getting from it. Focus on you doing that one task. And I would also suggest that when you create that task for yourself, if you're engaging in perfectionism, unhealthy perfectionism, make the task a time task, not a result task. And what I mean by that is I'm going to sit down and I'm going to work on this paper and only work on this paper for one hour. That's my goal. The only goal is to not allow myself to be distracted by anything else and to only work on this paper for one hour. That may mean that I only type 10 words in that one hour, but I've achieved my goal. Start setting yourself up for success in creating goals that you can achieve. And then as you do this, guess what? You can create more and more realistic, bigger and bigger goals for yourself as you start proving to yourself, I can achieve goals. And I know how to set goals for myself. And I know how to achieve them when I set them. 
Okay, so the next strategy, recognize that perfect does not exist as a fact out there. Recognize that it is only a term of imaginary description. There is no factual perfect for anything. There is only what you perceive. You get to decide the desirable elements, qualities, and characteristics of whatever it is that you're observing, and then you get to judge the thing based on those criteria. Okay? So I want to define the word desirable here. Desirable means wished for as an attractive, useful, or necessary course of action. Because when we're using the term perfect, we need to understand the word desirable because we're saying that we have all of the desirable outcomes or the the characteristics or qualities. So desirable means that it is wished for as an attractive, useful, or necessary course of action. So note that this says nothing about the end result. It is the course of action where you have control, not the outcome or the perception of that outcome by another person. So this all means that you have the power to define within you for the actions that you will take what your criteria are for if you want to label them as perfect and if you've reached the bar of perfect. So if you want to use the the, the word perfect, that's totally fine. But do not use it as if it is some definitive factual term that you need to then look to other people to be like, did I reach it? Did I do it? Did I do it right? Again, you can substitute any other word here, but you have to decide ahead of time what the requirements in your actions are to validate for yourself whether or not you reached it. Okay, next strategy. Start calling your quote-unquote mistakes something different. Again, it's a semantics thing, it's a linguistic thing, but I think a lot of us have a very negative attachment to the word mistake. And so therefore, we see mistake as being end result. Now, if you can use the word mistake and see it as being a learning opportunity, by all means do it. But I know for a lot of people, when we hear the word mistake, we slip into judgment. We, it, it has the connotation of judgment and that we did something wrong. And what I want to say is that you did not do anything wrong. You may not have gotten the desired result, so you can try something different next time, but you did the best you could when you did it. And now you want to do more. So you learn from what you did and you do more. You don't judge what you did And expect that to push you to do more. Okay? So start calling your mistakes something different. Usually I use it, I use, it's a learning experience. Because then, when I do something and I don't get the desired result, then I choose to see it as a learning experience, which tells me, it's okay, this was part of the process, I needed to learn this in order to go to the next step. So I keep growing. Okay, next strategy. Be realistic about possible outcomes when you begin a project or task. Know ahead of time what you will choose as a response when or if you receive one of those not desired outcomes. And choose a response that encourages and supports you in your journey towards growth and learning, not judgment and failure. Okay? Next strategy, do your inner child work. And this is again something I'm going to say get help to do this because this isn't something you want to just jump in on your own and try and do. But a lot of our perfectionistic and judgmental tendencies on ourselves come from child wounding that we need to become aware of and we need to start taking our responsibility in reparenting that inner child so that we can stop becoming reactive to that inner child and instead support that inner child care for that inner child and use 
that inner child being there as a way to grow versus shrinking us back into fear and insecurity. Okay, so do your inner child work. The next strategy, journaling about your progress and efforts. Write celebratory entries when you try something new or learn something new or notice progress in an area that you're growing in. Write acknowledgments for these. Keep a journal of just this. And when you feel your inner critic coming out and you're triggered in your perfectionism, then refer to this journal. And use it as a way to remind yourself of how much you've been growing, how much you've been trying new things, how much effort you've been putting in, and how much progress you're making. And that's growth, not the end result. Okay? So keep a journal about the progress and the efforts that you're taking. And then the last strategy I have for you is choose to be focused on your actions and effort versus the outcome, which ties into the previous strategy, but choose to be focused on those so that then you're, it's easier for you to journal about the progress and the efforts, but choose to focus on those over the outcome. And I know this sounds so cliche, but it's so important and crucial to be focused there because that's where you have the power, not in the outcome. So stay in your journey, stay in your process, stay focused on that where you have power, where you have the ability to have your back and continue to say, I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm learning, I'm growing. Take the next step. Okay, so now you have some strategies here. You can begin implementing those into your life if you notice that you're, that you're in this trap of unhealthy perfectionism. And... What I want to say in closing is that perfectionism doesn't have to be harmful. It doesn't have to be harmful. But in order for it to be something that we can practice in a healthy way, we need a safe, aware, realistic, empowered self-image and mindset. We need those things first before we can start using the term perfect and deciding ahead of time how we're going to reach it. And notice that it is our perfect, not someone else's. And that our perfect can change, and that's okay, but we don't get to use our new definition for perfect to go back and judge the old. Okay? So if you are, if someone you know, if someone came to mind, yourself also, but if someone else came to mind when, when you were listening to this podcast that you think is struggling with an unhealthy form of perfectionism, please share the podcast with them. I think that this episode is full of some insight and strategies, and awareness is the first key here. Awareness is always our first step in getting our power back, my friends. And the last thing I want to say to you is that perfectionism is not an easy knot to untangle in our lives. So if you're listening to this podcast, Having help from a professional is nothing to be ashamed of, and in fact, it's recommended. That is courageous. That is taking courageous action towards getting your power back, is getting help. Getting help and recognizing where you are with this, and that it's nothing you need to fear or be ashamed of. Recognizing where you are is the most powerful first step in being able to change it and seeing it clearly. And my friends, this this is why I ask for you to get help is because it's so hard for us to see our own struggles clearly when we are in them. So having that person there that creates that safe space for you to reflect to you and see yourself more clearly, that is why we get help from a professional. So reach out. Okay, reach out. 
If it's not me, that's also fine, but I'm here to offer my understanding. I'm here to offer my support and my encouragement. I'm here to offer my insight, and I'm here most of all to show you your power, your power to move through this, if this is something you're struggling with. You are more powerful than you will ever know, my friends. So let's start getting to know that. All right, I love you all. I'll talk to you all again next week. Ciao. Hey, thank you for listening in this week. I hope you enjoyed the content of this episode. If you did, please subscribe or follow this podcast to receive the newest episodes every week as I bring them to you here on the Connect Your Health to Life coaching channel. Ratings, reviews, and comments are always appreciated. These allow me to know more of what my listeners would like in the podcast and allow for more people who may be searching for a podcast just like this one to find the Connect Your Health to Life coaching channel. If you would like more information about me and the work that I do with my clients one-on-one, then please visit my website at www.slch.ch. Again, that is www.slch.ch. You can also find me on social media on Instagram at sethlusk underscore coaching. Again, that is sethlusk underscore coaching. And on Facebook in my free Facebook group community called A Healthy Life Connection. We would love to have you in the group, and it's only three membership questions that you have to answer to join. And again, it's entirely free. And if you need any further information or just want to say hello, feel free to send me an email directly at slusk.health at slch.ch. Again, that is slusk.health at slch.ch. Thank you again so much for listening, and I look forward to our next time together. Ciao.